everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hustle Podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. We do have a request though, before we get started, if you have found our content to be entertaining or helpful, would you consider leaving us a review on iTunes? Those five-star reviews really help to make sure that our content gets out there and that our show continues to grow. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando and we're on episode 353, a themed episode. Yeah, we've got uh, a themed episode today. And today we're talking about the thou shalls and the thou shall nots of reselling, the 10 commandments of reselling, the things that are very, very important for you to follow if you want to be successful, if you want to make the most on eBay, Amazon, Macari, wherever you're, you're flipping items, wherever you're making that money, these are things you got to make sure that you're doing or not doing so that you maximize those profits and can uh, and be, can be successful. So I want to give a little bit of a backstory to this one. So somebody had commented that the reason we don't get a lot of views on our YouTube is because we're very basic on our information. So I thought, why not take that great feedback and be even more basic, right? Because reselling is basic. I don't think there's much complexity to reselling, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. And so I think these 10 commandments of reselling, I feel like we should have like that uh, old, uh, what was that movie with uh, Charlton Heston, right? The 10 commandments (laughs) where he's like up on Sinai and the lightning strikes. Like we should start the episode with that, but I'll leave that to Mike if he wants to insert that. So anyways, uh, I think there's 10 now. There could be many, but I I do believe if you do these 10, you should be successful. And, And with most you know, sets of laws. Usually the most important one is at the very beginning. But I, I think we're going to toss it up for debate in the comments here. And if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe, make sure to hit that like button uh, and make sure to hit that bell notification. So the very first one, I think this is more important than the second one. And I'll see what you think is that thou shall keep learning. Meaning that if you want to continue to be profitable on eBay or any reselling platform, you can't stop learning. What may have worked 10 years ago isn't going to work now. What Mike and I talked about, I would say, in the early episodes does work. But we've learned so much since then. Our knowledge of what items to pick up, our knowledge of how to ship items, our knowledge how to you know, have consistent sales, our knowledge of how eBay functions, how the algorithm works, all those things have continued to change. And so we're always learning. And I do believe if you stop learning on reselling, you keep doing the same thing. You don't try to expand into other areas. You don't try to figure out how to ship better. You don't figure out how to you know, get better deals. You're just saying, hey, I just want to keep doing the same things. You're going to end up like those guys on the eBay forums that they just hate eBay and they talk about how miserable they are because there was the good old days where they made a ton of money and all because of eBay, they are failing at reselling. And I, I truly believe if those individuals decided to, you know, take some time to learn some new things, they probably would be better off. I don't know. What are your thoughts there, Mike? Yeah. I mean, learning takes a lot of different aspects there, right? Because there's, there's the learning about the different procedures within reselling. There's the learning uh, your own business. So like, for instance, um, you can figure out, okay, how can I ship more efficiently? How can I save, you know, uh, maybe it's only 10, 15 minutes a day on my shipping or my organization or whatever it is, uh, because I learned a new uh, uh, hack for cutting boxes down or for storing boxes and being able to kind of get them quicker or for wrapping an item 
or maybe I've learned how to save an extra, you know, 20 cents per package I ship out because I use a different program. I'm using something like pirate ship or something like that. So yeah, learning those little things can be effective there, uh, saving you time, saving you money. Uh, And on top of that, uh, yeah, learning about a niche, learning a little bit more and more about a specific type of item. I mean, now I'm, I'm in Texas, there's new items here. There's new things that I've got to figure out new bolos that I'm looking for. Like for instance, uh, I went to Bucky's um, for the first time ever. For those of you who, you know, everybody knows what Bucky's is. I didn't know for a long time because in California, we didn't, we don't have Bucky's, but it was one of those, like, you got to go to Bucky's, you got to go to Bucky's. And even the little bit of time I've been at thrift stores here, you know, I'm seeing some Bucky stuff. I've never really saw Bucky stuff at thrift stores in San Diego, maybe every once in a while. Uh, But there's, thinking like, okay, now this is a new market I have to learn. Like, okay, I'm going to run into these items more. So now I've got to figure out which of these items are profitable, which are not. And so, yeah, you've got to learn a new niche. You've got to learn new things. And even within your niche, you know, you can know a lot about Hot Wheels, like Orlando's learned a lot, but then even within there learning, okay, well, maybe certain collectors or certain sites I'm going to do better on. So yeah, knowledge is going to be key. Um, And one of the basic, uh, kind of bits of knowledge that you need to have, and this goes into our second commandment, uh, is thou shalt buy low and sell high. And yes, like Orlando said, this is basic in a lot of ways. And the reality is 99% of reselling is basic. Um, Now that 1% and going back to that idea of learning is your specific field. Like, okay, if you want to go deep into specific Hot Wheels, there's going to be channels that are like Hot Wheel channels. Or if you're buying special rugs, unique rugs. We've had a lot of people in our comments given Orlando from his last uh, haul from last week, uh, ideas of who to talk to for va- uh, evaluating the, and appraising the rugs. And there's very specific places you can go to get that kind of knowledge. Uh, but one of the basic things that I think a lot of people just overlook is, and, and as simple as it is, is you got to buy low and you got to sell high. And a lot of times we we miss that, especially if you're a new seller, you might understand the concept or maybe you've been reselling for a while. Uh, but things like negotiating become um, hard for you because you're afraid to buy low because you don't want to offend people. Um, or you're not really keeping track of what your cost is per item. And so you're not buying as low as you think you are. You're not including things like the travel cost to get there, uh, the time it took you to sort through stuff. So you might think, hey, I bought this for... but by the time you add in all of the additional expenses, maybe that it's actually $13 and and that cuts into your profit. So you really need to know those numbers. You need to know how low are you buying so that you understand how high you need to sell in order to be profitable long-term. Yeah. And I want to add two things to that. You know, on top of one, the idea that thou shall keep learning, part of buying low allows you to learn. So all these things in the last few weeks I've been talking about, right? Railroad lanterns, uh, vintage Persian uh, rugs, uh, you know, the Hot Wheels I've bought before, uh, vintage, uh, you know, inflatables, all these different things. The reason I was able to learn was because I was able to take risks. But the reason I took risks was because I kept my costs super low. So if I, you know, I'm only spending, it depends where you're at. You know, sometimes a couple hundred bucks is low for me. Cause it's a, an item that I can maybe flip for over a thousand or sometimes it's a couple bucks for an item that can flip over a hundred and I'm okay if I buy it and it doesn't work out because I'm not losing that much money. And th- this is a question I get all the time. Like Orlando, why do you always fight for every dollar? And this is one of the main reasons that I can take big risks 
And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if it does work out, then I've learned something new. Then I can add that to what I'm learning. The other, the other reason about here about, you know, keeping learning by keeping your costs low and selling high is it allows you right to build, build faster. Right. It's very hard. I would say in the in the retail arbitrage game, for example, if you're going to Ross and you're dropping $30 for a pair of shoes and you're selling it for 70 and after the fees come out and even if you do free shipping, you're only talking about making $10 net profit, $20. But if you're going into thrift stores and you're buying, you know, 10 pairs of shoes at less than $5 a piece and you're flipping them for more than 30, more than 50, more than 80 or even 100, then you're able to scale that faster. You get faster profits coming in. And then on top of that, you can turn that profit into more items. And so when you buy low and sell high, right, it very much gives you the freedom to learn, to scale. And at the same time, it's very risk adverse, right? You are safe in what you're doing. Uh, to, to me, one of the things I've learned on Amazon is that Amazon can get really tricky when you're paying high to sell high. So for example, I, right now, and Mike knows about this item, I still have uh, about a quarter of my garage filled with a certain item that I paid $80 for that at that time it was selling for like 200 on Amazon and I was making about a clean 80 bucks per item. Well, Amazon got on the listing, other sellers got on the listing, and now I can't even break even on the item. And so I dropped thousands of dollars and I took a risk that I shouldn't have taken. And now I'm learning from it. So if you keep your costs low and you consistently sell high, you're going to maintain that profitability, which is going to allow you to grow and continue to make money. Now, there's this next one. OK, thou shalt learn to source and list consistently. And this is this is the one I think if you're part time and, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, if you make a few bucks here and there then you don't have to do this. You re you really don't. But if you're part-time, you're like, hey, I like that extra 500 to 1,000 a month. Or you know, if you're full-time, this is a non-negotiable. This is non-negotiable. You have to always be sourcing so you have items to list. And you have to always be listing so you have items to sell so you can continue to source. <laughs> it just it, It's a wheel that keeps moving. And eBay is a grind. I would say all reselling is a grind. It, unless you find some private label that you can, you know, make passive income, uh, which is which is rare. But on eBay, it you know, choosing to say, hey, I'm not going to source anymore. You technically could. You could do the and and sell similar for a long time. But after a while, the reason those items you keep having to and and sell similar is because no one's buying those items, right? Those are bad buys. And so you need to continually, as you're learning, right, as you're buying low and selling high, you also need to make sure you are consistently sourcing and listing. And I, I think there's truth to that, too, in the sense that if you're consistently sourcing, you continue to stay motivated. Because to me, the worst part of our reselling is after you source. The sourcing, the, the treasure hunt, being out there, all that, that keeps you going. But if you're in a place where you're just not sourcing anymore and you have all these bad buys that you picked up and you're looking at them all the time, which I'm guilty of, 
and you're not listening, you're going to lose motivation. So not only that, but it's also going to affect you on the eBay algorithm. The eBay algorithm likes activity, likes you continually selling things, but you can't do that if you're not sourcing and listing consistently. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the, the things when I, I consider and ponder this uh, commandment we have here <laughs> is that the two go together in the sense that I think a lot of people think, yeah, well, I'm sourcing, so I'm good. But you got to do both, right? Like you've you got to list. So like you can't just source. Source and list. It's not source or list. Now, there are going to be times where you need to... You've done too much of the sourcing. Your sourcing and your listing need to be equal, right? Like those two need to go hand in hand. So if you've sourced at a 10 and you've only been listing at like a 1, you need to slow the sourcing down and increase the listing for a little while in order to catch up. Uh, now, of course, you can always say, well, there's always deals I got to go out and source, but you can you, you can actually hurt yourself in the long run if you continue to source and you're not listing uh, so you need those two go hand in hand. And so don't forget to do the two together. Well, if you're sourcing and not listening, you're a hoarder. You're not a reseller. Yeah. <laughs> you're just you're one of those guys that, you know, uh, American Pictures is going to show up at your door and be like, oh, yeah, grandpa picked these up five, 50 years ago. He's going to sell them on eBay, but he just never put them for sale. And then yeah. you're just a collector. Right. And you just it's I mean, I, I'm. And Mike, you will be impressed. I I really organized everything while you were gone. I took until you left to organize everything. But if I could turn the camera around, like everything looks really good and clean. I donated a bunch of stuff. Uh, and the reason I donated is because there were just all the extras that came on a huge haul. But but the deal is my major issue is I keep sourcing and sometimes I don't list. Now, fortunately, I'm still listing. I'm just not listing everything I pick up all the time. I don't know if that makes sense. So. All right. Hey, before we move on, this is going to go on to our next one. Thou shall be organized. And one of the best ways to stay organized is with my reseller, Genie. I know a lot, a lot of, I would say 90 plus percent of resellers hate Excel spreadsheets, hate having to keep track of things. I, I, I'll be honest with you. It, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst. I, I got into reselling because I enjoy the treasure and I didn't enjoy the bookkeeping. But the beauty of my reseller, Genie, is it because it makes it easy. And you're able to go in there, you're able to import all your sales, all your shipping costs, all your extra costs into reselling into my reseller genie. Uh, you can track your inventory, you can put how much an item costs, and then I'll tell you based on how, you know, how much you sold it for, what your profit's gonna be, and it keeps an eye on your numbers for you. And so if you haven't checked out my reseller genie yet, I strongly encourage you to do so. Go to the link below and use our code uh, pure hustle all caps. You'll get 15% off the first month, and uh, it's gonna help you. Stay organized. Now, talk to me about staying organized here, Mike, a little bit. Uh, how, why, why should that be a commandment? Yeah. So organization is one of those things that uh, right now I'm feeling the, I'm feeling the weight of not being as organized as I'd like to be. And I, I've kind of, I'm not naturally an organized person. And when I tell people that they're usually pretty shocked. Like I remember, I remember when I was going through my teaching credential program and um, I, I mentioned that to one of my master teachers and they were kind of blown away there because I, at that time I had, you know, like a calendar with to-do lists with post-it notes that I'd move around on the calendar to make sure everything, like everything, like I'm, I, I have checklists, I have to-do lists, I have calendars. I'm very organized now. And the reason is I've lived so much of my life very unorganized and it is such a negative thing. And it's one of those things where people don't realize how much it impacts them. Sometimes people will say like, oh yeah, I wish I was a little more organized. 
but not being organized has such a negative impact on so many areas of your life. And you, you oftentimes don't even realize how negative it is. Like when people say like, yeah, I, I do just fine on very little sleep. A lot of times it's they're running suboptimally and they don't realize it. If they got a little bit of sleep for a period of time, they'd realize, oh, wait, like I feel so much better. I get so much more done. And it's like, yeah, you were you were kind of operating like at a at a lower percentage for a long time. And organization is one of those things you can easily. We've all done it. We've all sold something and spent an hour trying to find it because for whatever reason, that one item got mislabeled or it got put in a weird spot or or you know, just in your own personal life. Like if you don't have like a thing, like I hang my keys up here before I, you know, when I, as soon as I walk in the house, at some point you're going to lose your keys. You're going to not be able to find them. And you're going to be trying to get out the door. Like we've all been there and you end up spending hours of time over the course of a month, maybe more by not being organized. And it's hard to think like, Hey, it's going to take me three hours to like reorganize all of this stuff, or it's going to take me a bunch of time to put in my numbers on my reseller genie or to, you know, kind of keep track of my taxes. I don't want to spend that time. But the, the reality is you're, you're spending that time throughout the year plus way more by not being organized. And if you can be efficient with your shipping, if you can be efficient with your, um, your sourcing, your listing, all of those things, even as far as organization, uh, going out to garage sales. We've talked about that a lot. The The night before, a couple nights before, you're planning out your route. What's going to be the most efficient route? Do you have the cash that you need to, to go out there? Maybe you got a couple of extra spare batteries in your car. So if you find a really cool item that you need to test with AA batteries, you can get that done without having to ask them. And then they're like, I don't know. I think it works. I don't have any batteries. So all of those things, those little tiny things of, of organization are going to save you tons of time it's going to potentially help you make a lot more profit. And you got to start somewhere. It's one of those things where some people are, are very organized and they're type A and it, this comes naturally to them. And there's some people who are very unorganized. And, and the only thing I could say is just write down like the things that you need to do in order to make your business better. Maybe it's like, I need to get through my shoe totes. If I could just do my shoe totes and then just make that your thing. Like this week, I'm going through my shoe totes. I'm going to make sure they're all organized, labeled. And then move on. Maybe the next week it's okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to organize my death piles so that way I can efficiently list them over the next month. And if you just do a few little things like that, it's like it'll snowball. Before you know it, you are going to be moving at a much faster pace. Things are going to be flowing easier. And and like if you like I said last episode, if you look behind me right now, this room is chaos. This is not my normal way of operating. It looks like organized chaos, though. It is organized chaos to an extent, um, but it's not where I want it to be. It's it's a lot of like, hey, some of this stuff is personal stuff. Some of this stuff is things that are going to be going to my classroom. Some of it's eBay. Some of my eBay is out in the shed. And so I'm not there yet. And I know it's it bothers me because when I walk out here, I don't have that feeling of like, yes, everything is where it's supposed to be. It's the difference of walking into like a Target or like a nice store where things are organized and neat on the shelves and walking into like a store where you're like, well, you know, there's some food on this shelf. You just got to dig through everything or walking into a bins. You know, it doesn't feel the same. You don't feel as, ah. No, agreed. And, you know, it was interesting. So I I did it like after you left and and I had, you know, I was going to have a, a just I wanted to go through and organize everything. I wanted sanity. OK. And one of the reasons I, I ended up in the property that I'm at is the goal was to separate my reselling life from my normal life. Like I wanted to go in the living room and I wanted to not see any reselling items. Go in the dining room, nothing. Kitchen, nothing. Bedroom, nothing. 
Because when I lived in the condo, it was everywhere. Every closet had inventory. The kitchen had inventory up on the top of the uh, the cabinets. Uh, you name it, there was inventory. Except for, I think the restroom was the only place that there were, the two restrooms, there was no inventory. But every single space in my condo, and I will say, the smaller the space, the more organized you need to be. Because in that condo, I lost so much money. What ended up happening is, I had so much inventory and I would just jam it into like, let's say the hallway closet, right? That's the closet that's supposed to be where you hang guest coats or whatever. Like I had all this inventory jammed. And then when something sold and I couldn't find it, I'd have to literally go in there and dig through all the stuff. And sometimes things would break. Sometimes I would lose items. And I will say since moving to this new property, I've only lost two items, two items in, in the entire two years that I've been here. And those two were because of an unpaid buyer that I ended up relisting, but I, I forgot to cancel or whatever after the fact. But I have not lost a single piece. So even though I get after myself for not being too organized, I'm organized to the point where I can find anything that I sell within less than 30 seconds. The only time that <laughs> I end up having this fear and anxiety hit me is when I sell something and there's no custom SKU label in my eBay. And then it's like, oh no, here we go. Ready to lose 30 minutes of my life looking for an item. And sometimes it's five minutes and sometimes it's 10. But the larger the store you have, the more organized you have to be, right? I have 30, I forget, I'm like at 3,200 something. And uh, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. And it depends, right? If, if you're selling like, let's say cards, you better be organized. 3,200 cards, that's a lot to sift through. At least for me, I, I'm an everything seller. So it's easier for me to spot things when I'm looking through it, right? If I was a, only a clothing seller and I had like 40 totes of clothing and I lost it, I'd have to go through all 40 totes and it's just miserable. So you want to be organized. Like Mike said, you want to be organized at getting ready for garage sales. You want to be organized when storing your inventory. I, I even want to add your shipping supplies, right? You want to make sure that you're efficient in shipping. You can lose so much time from shipping, you know, you don't have the right box, you don't have the right envelope, then you have to go drive out somewhere, you know, you're out of tape, you're looking for tape, you're looking for a box, you're looking, and that's a lot of time. So organization is going to save you time, which in the long run will save you money. Now that's tied into this next one though, that thou shall learn how to ship. I think one of the biggest roadblocks that a lot of people have, unless you're choosing to be just a super niche seller where you're only selling t-shirts or you're only selling shoes, is if if you want to expand into other niches, you also have to be comfortable learning how to ship items. And I would say the more valuable items, you definitely have to learn how to ship those, right? So, you know, my biggest sales I in this last year have been about 80 pound items, one was a, a bus a toll booth that weighed about 80 pounds. And uh, luckily, I knew how to use uh, different kinds of tape. Uh, for example, there's a tape that has like a fiberglass in it. It's called a, I call it shipping tape, but it's, 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 there's another name for it. But whenever I have heavy items, I know to use that tape. I know how to float a box. So if I have anything glass, I've never had a, a broken glass item ever because I'm always floating boxes now. I'm not saying that out of arrogance, it's because I learned from somebody else how to do that. And then I applied what I knew to shipping expensive, you know, stuff that can break and I'm good. There's other items, you know, for example, there's a difference between how you're going to ship something 
that you have to make sure that the corners are well taken care of. So I just sold a turntable and turntables are notorious for breaking when they get dropped because they land on a corner. Right. And then that plastic cover will snap and it'll break. So you have to make sure you pay special attention to the corners. You have to make sure that the arm on the turntable cannot move. Right. So I had like some foam pieces I put in there and I made sure that everything stayed in place. So I'm able to make bigger profit because a lot of people would pass up on a turntable or a lot of people uh, would pass up on certain items because they don't want to ship. And the, I, I would say the greatest example out there, shout out to a flea market flipper. Uh, if you ever follow him on Instagram, I think the reason that family does so well is because they're willing to ship things that nobody else wants to ship. Like I'm talking about like a 20 foot fiberglass Harley sign or I'm talking, they actually, you know, those big brushes at car washes that like spin in like your car, like they bought one and they sold it for like 10 K or something. And the guy learned how to make a pallet and put it all together and ship it out. and made like, I don't know. I made like $8,000 uh, net profit when he was done and he only paid like a hundred or something. Okay. I, I might be exaggerating. You can check out their Instagram, but if you want to be successful in reselling, Outside of just selling the same thing over and over and over again, you have to be willing to learn how to get uncomfortable and learn how to ship over time. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, it's more than just even to the um, like how to ship certain types of items, but just the process of shipping in general. I mean, when you first start selling, you know, that's like the one thing where you've got no idea. Anytime I talk to people about selling, I mean, we have somebody just yeah. Um, we had somebody who sent some Christmas gifts to us. It was really nice. I, I really appreciate them doing that, like family, friends. Um, and they sent, it was probably like $20 worth of stuff. Um, and the way they had it packaged and we saw the postage on there, they've spent like $37 in postage. Ooh, that's and, and it's just because like there is an older lady. She doesn't really know. So she just took the stuff to the post office and said, all this stuff needs to go to this address. And so it was like the most expensive way possible. And so, yeah, just learning like, hey, how That's can I... That's a great point, can- though. Like, Mike, I, I, I know I'm cutting you off like good old days, but I, I, it's such a great point because when you're first reselling, you don't know any better, right? You go to the post office, like you said, and you're like, just ship this stuff. Or you don't know about pirate ship, that you can get great rates. Or you don't know that there's flat uh, envelopes, flat rate envelopes or boxes. You don't know that you can get free supplies from USPS, like there's so much money that you could be losing if you're not learning how to ship. So I appreciate that. Like that was really good. Um, no, it's true. It's true. You got to be, uh, you got to be paying attention to those things for well, sure. When's the last time you went to the post office and just did that? Like you hand wrote the address on a, on a label. Yeah, never. No, not anymore. And in fact, like, you know, when we have my, my in-laws are with us. And so, you know, whenever they're like, Oh, I need to ship something. We're like, stop. We will make you a, a, a label off of pirate ship. They're like, oh, but it's not for eBay. It doesn't matter. I will ship this for you. Like, it'll be way easier. Trust me. Uh, so, yeah. So, but yeah, you, you just got to learn how to do it. And honestly, people will say like, you, you guys should make a video on shipping. And we've done some videos on shipping, like specific types of items. We've done videos on, you know, global shipping program. We've done videos on um, shipping, you know, through pirate ship and different things. Uh, Mugs. But the reality is, yeah. So the reality is, though, there's so many different types of, of things. And if you're like, hey, I just don't know how to do like USPS priority and first class. Like, what's the difference between those? And um, if that's you, go back to uh, commandment number one. Thou shalt keep learning, right? Like, it, it's not that hard. Like, we live in a time where 
if you're if you get if you ever don't know something, if you're about to sell something on eBay and then you're like, wait a minute, which do I select for shipping? Do I do parcel? Do I do first class? Do I do and you don't know, should I do FedEx overnight? Like, which one do I select? Just Google the differences. You know, like it, it, it doesn't take too long. You might find a video or two and it doesn't have to be a reselling related video. It's just a video or a, a quick little article that you can find that's going to be concise about shipping. And that's really going to be the best way to learn those types of things. Agreed. Agreed. Now, this next one. And I, I say this because I think a lot of people get out of reselling because they don't do this. And it's thou shall abide by the terms of service of each platform. And I, this, it's not just small sellers. There's big YouTubers that this has happened to where, you know, people just decided to do their own thing. And the platform's like, all right, you're done. You're suspended. Like, I, I remember with Amazon a few years ago, this was a big thing where a lot of major FBA people were killing it, killing it on FBA. And Amazon's ruthless. And so, for example, a lot of people were selling, sending in boxes that were kind of dented, but they're still new and they're selling them as new. And Amazon caught on and Amazon's like, all right, you're suspended and your money's tied up. Like you're going to put yourself in a, in a tough spot. Right. Or, you know, you're saying, Hey, there's so much good money in medical supplies. There's, there's so much good money in, you know, cosmetics or whatever. And eBay has certain rules about those items. Right. And you're like, Hey, it's going to be great profit. It's worth the risk. The reality is making a few hundred bucks isn't worth losing your account long-term. It's better to avoid those items and keep your store in a good place that you're not, you know, raising any red flags uh, so you can continue making money. Because, yeah, there are those opportunities all the time where you I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I ended up at a community garage sale and I bought like some like skin cream or something like to keep you young. And it was great money. I paid, I think, like 20 bucks and. I, let's say I've got 20 like little vials of it and they were each selling for a hundred a piece. So that was going to be $2,000. Well, I listed it and eBay pulled it. I listed it again and eBay pulled it. And then I realized it's because it's prescription items and you can't sell certain prescription items. So I could have like manipulated the wording. I could have, you know, there's ways to get around things if you want. But to me, it's like, okay, I can make this $2,000 right now, but if eBay really gets upset with me and the algorithm catches it, they could suspend my store or even shut me down and I can't sell on eBay again. And then I'm losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's just not worth it to take that $2,000 risk for that short-term profit. So be careful, be careful because you, you just, you, again, these platforms have no obligation to you. Like if Mike and I were to stop selling on eBay right now, eBay wouldn't think twice. Maybe they might yeah. send us a little gift and say, thank you for selling on eBay. I don't think no. they would either. No, but, nothing, but, nothing. But the reality is like you, you, you need to, you need to, because in the end, it, it's that avenue. It connects you to millions of people and millions of buyers and you don't want to lose that avenue of business. Yeah. And a lot of times just ignorance, right? I, uh, I listed, I listed a CPAP machine and got pulled because I didn't know, right? And luckily, I've been told by other people, different sites I can go to to sell CPAP machines. So uh, there's one, we, we have a, a hand towel dispenser, a paper towel like uh, dispenser mm -hmm. in motion, in motion. And my wife used to work for a company that was kind of like a Home Depot, like supplier type place. 
And so she got a whole bunch of these from a trade show, not just those, but like different items that were like left over from the trade show. And so it was brand new inbox in motion hand paper towel dispenser. We list it and it gets pulled like it, and and the the threat that came from eBay was pretty severe. But then I look and there's people who are selling this exact one on eBay every so often for, you know, $150. And so you, you just got to you can't do that. Well, it's not fair. They did it and I, I can't. And you just follow the rules, find another platform if you need to. And you're going to be better off doing that than getting yeah your account suspended or banned. I would if I were to make $150 profit and then lose my account, like it, it's not even close. The, the, the amount I would lose, it, I'd rather lose the $150. I'd rather find another place to sell the item. I'd rather donate the item than, than to lose my account. No, I agree. I agree. All right. So leading into our next one, uh, I like this one. Thou shall negotiate. <laughs> You must negotiate. Negotiation is not an option. And if you're a, a person that maybe you haven't learned, go back to commandment number one, learn to negotiate. Uh, but you've got to negotiate. Um, when you first start reselling, I remember the, the first several, I remember one of the first things I bought at a garage sale when I went on my own was a bunch of Time Life. I think that's what they're called. Time Life, like uh, encyclopedia sets. And it was a Civil War set. And I actually ended up doing pretty well on it. I sold it and I think I, I sold it one. for like, like $85 or $95. Uh, plus shipping, and I only paid fifteen dollars for the set of books. Maybe it was ten, something like that. But I remember I walked up and I gave the first number. I'm like, uh, "Would you take ten dollars for these books, or would you take 15 And they were like, "Sure." And then since then, I've bought those types of books from people. And you know, if you let them give the first number, they might be like, "I don't know, five dollars for all of it." And if you're me now, Alondra and I are different. Um, on this in some ways, but if you're me and it's like, ah, okay, that's close enough to what I'd pay. I'm not going to go from $5 to $3 usually on stuff. Now, if I bundle things, I'm going to try and take that number down even more. Uh, but there were a lot of times where I would give the first number or I would just accept it and not do the negotiation. It never hurts. The worst thing you can, that can happen is if they give you a number, if they say $20 for everything and you say, how about 15? And they say, no, $20. Uh, I mean, I could do 17. The worst that's going to happen is they're going to stick to 20 and then you pay the 20. Uh, but over time and, and and a lot of times like, well, what's the big deal about saving $5 at a garage sale or saving $20 on this haul that you're going to make $500 on? Well, if you consider over the course of the year, we talked about you know consistently sourcing. If you're sourcing and you're, let's say you, you make 20 purchases a week, just as a number, you make 20 purchases a week at garage sales, thrift stores, whatever it is. And that's like bulk on 20 items, but 20 separate transactions where you're, you're purchasing. If you're saving $2 on each of those, that's, that's $40 a week that you're, you're saving. That's $160 a month. That's 1600. That's what like 2000 something like, I'm just starting to get bad at math, but we're almost $2,000 a year difference. That's a significant difference. Like that $2,000 that you're you're making just off of saving $2 per transaction on average, that's a huge difference. That that can make such a big difference in in you being able to go on that family vacation, on you being able to buy the light setup that you need in order to level up or to be able to afford the the shed or a storage unit that you're going to be moving to so you can increase. So yeah, you can say what's the big deal about $2 per transaction? But it's over the course of, of the long time. Yeah, I mean, th that same process, you could say, well, what's the big deal if gas goes up 50 cents a gallon? It's just 50 cents. 
Yeah, but you get a lot of gallons of gas over the course of the year. And over time, that that adds up quite a bit. Yeah. And negotiating, what you're doing is you're negotiating your profit. You're, you're not going to negotiate how much you're going to buy something for. That's going to be the ultimate. But in the middle of it, you're negotiating how much money you have to work with. Right. And then that's that's one of the ways that you can definitely go back to commandment number two, keeping costs low. Right. The, the, the reason right now, I would say in this economy that a lot of people are still doing well on eBay or consistently doing sales is that they can run a 50 percent off sale. They can even run an 80 percent off sale on all their items and still be profitable. But there's some that, you know, and you may, may be listening where if you even go over 30 percent off on your items, you're going to be in the negative. Right. And so you need to negotiate. You need to realize, hey, when I'm negotiating here, I'm negotiating for the future because in the future, somebody else is going to try to negotiate my price down. So if I'm able to get stuff really cheap, you know, something that I have for $100 that I can sell and I paid only two bucks and somebody's offering me 50 because I negotiated, you know, down for two bucks, it's golden. But if I didn't negotiate, right, and let's say it's, you know, something I paid $50 for, then I'm going to be kind of stuck. I can't do that kind of discount. And you got to be able to negotiate in all areas. There's, there are people right now that, let's say on Amazon, they've negotiated with a lot of retail stores. And they're getting far better deals. And this is why they're able to beat the competition on Amazon. Because somebody's like, oh, man, I went to Marshall's and those were going for so-and-so. How can somebody sell it for this cheap? Well, there's two reasons. Either one, it's stolen. <laughs> or number two... Right, they are able to negotiate a great price with the supplier, and they can undercut their competition. See, in the long run, negotiation is going to help you maintain that profitability. Now, that is our seventh one, and we're going to move on to our last three. But before we do, we got some hustle of the week, and I wanted to talk about our our Patreon real quick. Thank you to all of you that have supported us uh, thus far. I'm getting into all these old English terms now because of our commandments. <laughs> it's It's been really great. Uh, you know, Mike and I, you know, we're really concerned about the quality of the podcast when we moved. And thanks to everyone supporting us on, on Patreon, uh, we were able to buy the equipment. And I, I think everyone would agree the quality is just the same or even better than before we moved. I actually think if it sounds like Mike and I are still in the same room, even though we're in different states. And so yeah. shout out to Mike too, though. It's a little bit of Mike's, no, it's a lot of Mike's magic, but it's because of the equipment that we're able to purchase too. Did you want to add something to that? Look like you wanted to say something there. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say too, like it's still a work in progress and yeah, in I some agree, ways too. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get, fix my background a little bit and all of those things. But, but yeah, again, uh, the fact that I was able to, to move across country, keep this going, and, and and to have the desire to keep it going, to be honest, because it's it's not even just the support. Like we, we appreciate all the support financially through the patron and, and those of you who join our discord. Uh, but even just the, the support from those of you who are like, hey, I can't support you right now financially. But those of you who are leaving five star reviews on iTunes, those of you who are just giving encouraging comments in the in YouTube, you know, you're commenting, letting us know uh, what you think about the episode or giving us encouragement. Those are the things that really keep us going and make us want to do this, even though, yeah, it's not as easy anymore. Uh, but but it's because of you supporting us on social media, on the the, the podcast through iTunes or specifically financially through Patreon. It, it's, it, it definitely makes a difference for us. 
Yeah, so just go to the link below if you want to help us out. Uh, Patreon.com slash Pierce Podcast. And for five fifty five a month, you can definitely help us out. Uh, if you ever want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at PiercePodcast at gmail.com. We actually have a hustle of the week uh, via from email today uh, that we're going to read. You can always leave, leave us a call uh, at 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. And as always, if you're listening to the podcast, you've never come on over to YouTube. Just just jump on over, hit that subscribe, maybe watch a few Monday minisodes uh, because there's a lot of information that we share there. We also have a good time every once in a while with some TikTok reactions and so on. And as always, appreciate, like Mike said, all the iTunes reviews that you guys leave us. It definitely helps us in the algorithm and keeps us being the number one uh, reselling podcast out there. And so are you ready uh, to talk about, oh, by the way, no, our social media, social media. You can follow us. We are Pure Hustle Podcast on all social media platforms, including threads. So that's that's a new one we're adding here. Do you know about threads, Mike? No. It's it's the competition of Twitter. It's Meta's Twitter. So yeah, it's it's wild, but it's it's very different in the sense that it's tied into your Instagram and your Facebook account. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I guess we'll see. More <laughs> okay. social media, just what the world needs, right? <laughs> we're we're also pure hustle cast on Twitter. All right, are we ready to talk about some amazing hustles of the week? Yeah, hustle of the week. All right. So uh, for those of you who don't know, our hustles of the week are uh, listeners have either written in, they posted on Instagram using the hashtag hustle of the week. They've sent us an email, sometimes phone calls uh, of big um, kind of scores they've had. Maybe something they they found uh, for free that they found for inexpensive that they did some research on. They flipped uh, kind of finding those diamonds in the rough. Uh, and we're really big on Pearsall Podcast that you're not always, everything's not always going to be a, a slam dunk. Not everything's going to be a home mm. run, but they do happen. If you are consistent, if you're out there working hard, they they happen occasionally. Uh, and the more consistent you are, the more they're going to happen. So as you listen to these, please don't think that this is, oh my gosh, if I'm not getting these types of hustles all the time, I'm a bad reseller. This is more of an encouragement of if you are out there all the time, you are going to find these types of deals every so often. And these are the home runs that really, really make it worthwhile. So our first one comes from Upstate Picker on Instagram. Uh, So stopped at an indoor flea market and uh, found a typewriter item with a flip up screen. And it was sitting on a shelf for $10 with the original power adapter taped to it. It was a brother desktop publisher. It's basically a vintage word processor that looks like a typewriter, but has a flip up screen with a built in printer and floppy drive. Bought a very expired ink cartridge to test out the printer, but it needed some help from sitting for so many years. So soaked the ink cartridge, uh, which is the type with the built in print head in warm water for a few minutes. And after a few pages, it started printing normal again listed it all for $549 and woke up to an offer of 467 plus shipping and took that offer. So $10 plus had to do a little bit of work with uh, getting the ink cartridge, testing it out. That's next level though. But going from $10 to 467 plus shipping, again, sometimes that vintage equipment has a following. That's a man, what a score upstate picker. I love that one. Yeah, and I think that's his like fifth hustle of the week. I don't know. We've we've had so many. If you think about it, we've had over 
I think like close to 200 hustle of the week. No more than nice. that. Like 600. So nice work there. I, I'm impressed with the, with the ink cartridge. Like I would have never been able to do that. So, all right. Hey, this comes from uh, our email. And so if you haven't emailed us, it's peerspodcast.gmail.com. This is from, uh, they actually have their own podcast. This is the Storage Warrior Podcast. So I'm guessing they do storage logger. I need to check out the podcast though. Um, says, hey guys, love the podcast. It's one of my favorites, and I always recommend to listeners of my podcast, The Business of Reselling. I've got a pretty pretty awesome hustle of the week for you. So we're from Vancouver, Canada, but we're recently on a road trip down the West Coast. On the way out of the LA area, we stopped at the last day of an estate sale just west of San Bernardino and picked up this old cast iron thing for $2. I had no idea what it was, but I loved the aesthetic of old iron products and thought at the very least it would be a cool steampunk item for someone and I could get at least $40 for it. I did some research and found out it was a single slot pay station for one of the first public payphones. You put a nickel in when the operator told you to, and you could make a call. That's pretty awesome. Uh, it was missing a lot of pieces, but it was still in such a great condition, a cool and rare piece. The patent date on it was 1898. I started at auction for $199 and it sold for $655 and 55 cents. That's crazy. So $2 to 655. So that paid for about three quarters of our gas bill for the whole trip. Of course, we sourced a whole truckload of things because we always try to source to pay for our trips. Man, it sounds like a fun trip from Vancouver to LA. I don't know what kind of drive that is, but that's a drive. Uh, but that was one of the most interesting and unique things I found in a long time. I love sourcing in the United States. You guys give it. Uh, you guys have it so good down there. Hope you like the story, and then just add, touch a screenshot of what they sold. And yeah, thanks so much, Jessica uh, from Storage Warriors up in Canada. Yeah, and uh, Orlando, we had a comment of somebody saying we should add some pictures of pictures of some stuff. It'd actually be a lot easier to do now on this new uh, setup that we're using oh, okay. here. Um, See, so yeah, I kind of got big oh, for a second there. there. All um, right. If if um, if we had another screen to share here, we could uh, we could throw us on the side and then show the pictures. And the, so we'd have to kind of work through some of that. But that might be fun to if if you guys send in hustles or if we have our own things, maybe show. Oh, we might have some stuff that we uh, we play on the screen, make it a little easier for you guys to see what it is we are talking about. All right, we got another hustle of the week. Uh, so this one comes in from at NT underscore KVN on Instagram. Went to a thrift store and didn't see any good electronics or clothing to flip. So just checked every aisle, hoping to find something misplaced. Then found a bunch of cross-stitch kits on the bottom shelf. Yes, we talk about those all the time. Grabbed them all and started scanning. I noticed the bigger ones had the most value, so that was the priority. Didn't notice the brand names and took ones that had solid comps and took a couple that may be good flip but didn't have any history. Sold three right away and went back to these uh, went back these last couple of days to get the rest. So paid five dollars on a new and sealed 2001 Lanarte Vince Cross Stitch Kit 37 by 32. And sold it for $85 plus shipping and sold another two for $90 plus shipping. So, man, from like $5 up to like $85 or $90, that's, that's amazing. So, and it's yeah, cross stitch. Don't, 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 don't sleep on that kind of stuff. The, the, you got to be careful with craft, crafting supplies because, again, if it's not a niche, you know, you're going to, you might struggle. But 
don't pass up those aisles because if you learn and, and cross stitch is one of those ones that that's pretty easy to pick up on learn a couple of brands it doesn't hurt scanning especially i mean some things you, you can't scan but if it's something that's new sealed and packaged and you can scan it scan it it's a quick way to learn yeah, agreed. I, I love picking up that stuff. And I think the thrift stores out here have caught on to things. I, you know, it kind of hurts my soul hearing all these people finding things at thrift stores because I, I don't go anymore. I, I haven't gone to a thrift store in, I think, three months. I go every once in a while to that one that you and I like going to. But outside of that, like, we can't find stuff out here. So good for all of you that are out there and still finding things at different stores. So we'll talk to this on, on our update episode. But did you know, like, savers went public? Like you can buy stock and savers. So, you know, I guess, you know, thrift business is doing well. So, yeah. All right. No, I know you're super busy. So I'm pretty sure you don't have also the week. I think your store, you shut down your store for a little bit too, to get everything taken care of. Uh, so I'll, I'll just, I'll share this one here because it goes along with the update episode last week. So last week I had shared how I ended up buying a bunch of rugs. Okay, and thank you to everyone that commented and and you know sent me some advice and and you know everybody's trying to figure out what what I'm gonna do. Uh, and I'll share that on an update episode uh, what my plans were for them. Uh, but I had mentioned how after I bought all this stuff, they just said take everything. So let me set context so if people haven't listened to the last episode. You should listen to the last episode, uh, episode three fifty two. But real quick, I went. Uh, I got connected with somebody who was moving. They wanted to get rid of a bunch of stuff. So they had all these uh, Persian rugs and so on that were antique vintage. I bought all those up and I bought a bunch of old camera equipment. And then after I bought everything, they said, you know what? The junk collectors coming tomorrow. Just take whatever you want. And I had mentioned how there was about uh, one to 2K of stereo equipment. And I just started taking it out. Now I paid 360 for everything there. And I listed those items. The beauty of it is that these were vintage stereo. This was vintage stereo equipment that was not listed on eBay. And when I would check worth point, it had been at least three or four years for some of these things to show up. And so the first item, so I sold a turntable, but this item I sold for more. I listed this and I, I'm not an audiophile, so I really don't know what I sold. I just know that somebody wanted it. So you know, this was free. Basically, I sold a BNK components MC-101 preamplifier Sonata series. The keyword says auto audio file. I just took that from the cell similar. I don't know if that's what it's called. No, <laughs> no, it's just too like, okay. So it's a, it's I guess a keyword, a keyword. I don't know that that's how much I don't know. Okay. Uh, with a power supply. Now I saw that the most recent one was a new one that sold for 500, like 90 months ago. 90 months ago, I'm sorry, 90 days ago. And so I didn't see one listed or one sold. And so I listed mine used uh, for $1,000. I got 50% off. And within 12 hours, it sold for $500 plus ship. So I'm already in the profit. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. And I I have some other preamps in there that sell for like $750 plus. I sold a turntable for $150. Yeah, it, it was a it was a scary haul because I took a risk, but I kept my costs low and it ended up working out really well. I haven't yeah. even touched the rugs yet. I haven't even started on those. So just crazy. That's my hustle. Crazy Orlando. It's, uh, it's, it's the kind of things that going back to what we were saying is the consistency, uh, which, which isn't really one of our commandments here, but um, 
being consistent is so important because I mean, I guess it is in the sense of you should source and list consistently. Um, so the fact that you're out there all the time, uh, you, you get those deals, right? You, you make those connections and you know, I, I have gotten some pretty sweet connections and made some good deals. Uh, and I know a lot of our listeners have done the same. And a lot of times I think people get discouraged if they've been to garage sales for a few weekends and maybe they're not finding a lot of stuff or they're just going to thrift stores. And it's just that consistency, meeting people, eventually it's going to work out. You're going to make that connection. Uh, and one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, level up reviews that we did, we used to do these book reviews, uh, was The Richest Man in Babylon. And there was a whole section in there. And I, I'm going to butcher it if I try and like say it the way it was said. But essentially it was, um, you know, there's, there's not luck, but what there is is opportunities come up and the people who are considered lucky are essentially the ones who are prepared to strike when opportunities come. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you can be prepared is by you're saving money now, you're making those connections now, you've got the capital now, knowing that, hey, maybe in a year, two years, three years, I'm going to make a connection and it's going to be potentially life-changing. Like I, I might have an yeah. opportunity come up where it's like, hey, you're going to need to pay $10,000 for this, but you're going to net... 200 by the time it's all said and done like those things happen and, and we look at those stories of somebody who sold something at an antique show for a crazy amount and they're like oh they got lucky um you know orlando got lucky finding that hall and then also those rugs they may be worth a ton of money that's luck and it's like well no what it really is it's just that consistency of sourcing and being in a position where you can make a deal because yeah you didn't have to pay that much for those things but it had the deal been bigger like you said too, if you end up at a place where it's a big deal, you already have connections set up where you can you can get a hard cash loan right away from somebody who's gonna you know fund some of your reselling because they know they trust what you're doing, uh, and so you've made those connections, you've set yourself up so that when an opportunity like that comes, you're able to strike on it. So uh, my my hats off to you, Orlando. That's a that's an awesome that's an awesome <laughs> I, sale. But I gotta tell you, it it's always there's always an uneasiness. You know what I mean? Like, th this is why I keep my costs low. So I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you, man. Now, this kind of ties into the next one, right? Thou shall learn to network. The only reason I came across this was because of networking, right? It actually was uh, somebody that I, that I disconnected, uh, disconnected, that I connected with uh, here in San Diego, who's a reseller, who at the time right now uh, isn't doing much reselling and said, hey, let me connect you with this group of people. Uh, that have, you know, they have clients here and there and every once in a while there's people that are moving and, and they have stuff they want to offload. And the only reason I, I was able to make this is because the networking, right? They reached out to me. I reached out to them. We saw how we could help each other out. And in the end, they ended up paying off. And I will say 90% of my hauls, 99% of the hauls that I get, they're usually not a random find at a garage sale or a thrift store or a local deal. They're usually somebody that I left a business card or somebody that found out about me that contacted me and I went over to their house and I made a huge purchase. I, I would say pretty much every single deal. I, I don't think I, I can't, I'm trying to think if I've ever had something, maybe a couple items that I paid. Yeah. I've had like, you know, like I had this master jacket that I found at a thrift store for eight bucks and I sold for 500. So they're still out there, but I would say all my major scores, that were more than one item selling. Let's say, you know, for example, the Hot Wheels haul I had, uh, I paid fourteen hundred for it, and I probably made eight to nine k when all is said and done. I, and that's conservatively. I want to say it's probably like ten k uh, on that net. 
And what was that from? That was from me dropping my business card, continuing to connect with that person. And one day they said, hey, we have a bunch of stuff here. We just want to offload it. We really don't know what to do. And I was able to uh, implement. I love how we have these laws by numbers. I was able to implement command number seven to negotiate. And I was able to negotiate from 4K to 1400. And as a result of the connection, I had this huge haul and it paid off. And so networking is huge. I know so many people that are beating out their competition, let's say with Nike shoes, because they have connections with the Nike outlets where you have some that are like, I'm never going to talk to the managers. I don't want people to know what I'm doing. And that's okay. They don't have to, but the people that do, they're the ones that are getting the call. Hey, we just got this in. I can work out a deal if you buy this much. It's all about networking, networking, networking. Remember that store that was by uh, where we used to, where we where, where you used to live. Yep. And I used to go to that store that shall not be named, and I would get called and I would hang out in the back, and they would be like, "We got this, we got this, we got this," and I had dibs on everything before I even made it out. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's unfair. I don't, I, I would say, yeah, it's unfair. It's the unfair advantage, yep. right? I, I saw an advantage. I took an opportunity and I, I worked, you know, it worked for a while and eventually it went away. But when it was there, right, due to the networking, I was able to get those connections. And I know some people right now uh, that have connections with thrift stores that they tell them what they're looking for and those thrift stores set them aside. And once a month, they'll go over and they'll pick up those items. They're not, they don't even have to source. They have somebody else sourcing for them. And that's because of networking. Yeah. I, I really think like networking is where you're going to, you're going to go to the next level. And again, it's one of those things where it's not going to necessarily happen overnight. It's not a for sure guarantee thing, but you can grind, you can grind out garage sales and thrift stores and make the 500 or a thousand or $1,500 a month, whatever it is you need to make net profit. And you can just grind that out forever. And and if that's fine, if that's what you want. Uh, but I think, I, I don't think it's possible to move into the next level, whatever that means for you as a reseller without networking, because it, yeah, it's going to be something of, you know, Hey, I met this person. They know you're a reseller. Hey, I'm about to buy this, like, or rent this big, you know, storage unit, like facility. Uh, Cause I, I knew a person who they, they're running their business out of a um, I, I don't even know the square footage of it. It was really big. It was basically like a, I don't know, it's probably like a 20 by 50 um, like storage unit, maybe even bigger than that with an office above it. And it had two offices. And so they were, they needed the storage unit on the bottom and one of the offices. And so they rented out the other office to somebody to cover part of the, and it's like things like that, like those types of negotiations are going to be or, or networking where you, you find somebody that like, Hey, I've got this deal that I've got going. Do you want to get in on it with me? Or, Hey, I've got this deal. I know this person, I can give you their number and maybe you guys can work something out. And that's going to be, what's going to take you into that next level. Cause you always hear people say things like, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, and I think it's a little bit of both, but the, who, you know, is really, really important. And so you're not going to make it very far unless you start unless you start knowing some people and you start getting known by people and people know that, Hey, if I need somebody who can, cause maybe, maybe the way you do reselling is you're, you're really grinding it out. You've got a trailer and you're like cleaning out garage sales at the end or estate sales. And you're taking half of it to, to junk and to donation and you're picking through trash, but you people know like, Hey, if I call Mike or I call Orlando, they're going to be here and they'll, they'll take all this stuff for free. So they're the person I'm going to call first, no matter what. 
Mm-hmm. And then that's going to lead to the next thing. And that's going to lead. So just by, by having that kind of networking, it, that that's how you get set up into the next level. You, you'll never make it. Cause it, like I said before, the idea of when an opportunity comes, well, usually you're not just walking along the street and somebody like runs up and says like, Hey, uh, do you want to buy these rare antiques that I have sitting in my garage? Like, that doesn't happen, you know, unless they've seen you at garage sales. And so you got to get out there. You got to start getting known by people. We've talked about business cards, how easy business cards are as a way to hand out at a garage sale. Maybe not every garage sale. I don't hand them out at every garage sale, but if it seems like I remember I I can kick myself now, but I, uh, you know, some of the earlier garage sales I went to, I remember one where a person was like a manager of a, like a sports nutrition store. And so a ton of like uh, vitamins and stuff like that, that were like three months away from pull date. Now that's not necessarily the type of thing I want to sell on eBay, but they're like, yeah, I get this stuff all the time. They're going to be throwing the trash. So I just like take it and, you know, sell it. If I would have had a, a, a card and handed it to that person and say, okay, here are the things I'm mm-hmm. willing to purchase from you. Like maybe I don't want to do like certain supplements, but like if it's like these items, like I'll sell these on eBay all day. If you get these, I'll buy them. for, And then you have that connection. Then you have somebody who's going to contact you handful of times throughout the year and you got huge scores. So a business cards, huge networking is going to be the thing that's going to take you to the next level. And you're not just grinding garage sales forever. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I want to add, this is life advice, <laughs> you know, how to win friends and influence people, right? That we read that Andrew Carnegie book. Did we read that one? We did. It's actually, it's up here somewhere. I don't I think, think so. I don't remember doing that one. Did we? Yeah, right there. Dale Carnegie, oh. not Andrew. Oh, I guess we did. We did. Yeah. If it's on the shelf, we read it. We read it. So, you know, it's funny because I'm trying to teach my son this and you could listen. It's about what you know, but I would say that's only like 10%. I would say the other 90% who, you know, I mean, Mike, you can attest to this. And like, how many people do you know in education that are just complete buffoons, but they know enough people that they will always be employed. Yeah. They will always take a job as an administrator somewhere. They'll always get a job as a teacher somewhere. And they may be not the greatest teachers. They may not know their stuff, but they know people. And yeah. we see it in politics. We see it in pretty much every avenue. The only one you can't really get away with that is probably sports because you have to show your ability. But outside of that, it's just good, good advice to, you know, get to know people. And if you get to know people, you can always bounce back and you can always make those great deals in reselling. That's right. Now, this next one, I, I, I should have titled it Thou Shall Keep Calm, but I'm going to make it Thou Shall Provide Great Customer Service. Because uh, I, I find that, especially in the reselling space, that's not very prevalent. I, I'll give you an example. So right now, uh, if you want to watch the movie The Abyss, do you remember The Abyss by James Cameron? Like I, it's it's an old movie. I, maybe this is showing my age because Mike and I have a uh, ten year ten year difference here. Yeah, I don't know if so, I've seen that one. So James Cameron, it's it's a classic movie, but you can't find it anywhere. So for whatever reason, huh. James Cameron doesn't want it like on DVD. You can't stream it anywhere. Like you just can't. Now you can buy it on eBay. You can find a used copy. So I ordered one. I ordered this one. I think it was like uh, I should look just to be fair, but. I, I think it was like the first week of June. Okay. We're now in like mid July. Okay. And their shipping, right, said that it would get here by July 3rd. 
Okay, it arrived today when we're recording this. Okay, it's way past. Well, it's it's July six, so it 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 way later than I anticipated. Okay, and to me that is terrible customer service. So I'm looking at eBay right now, and it's like leave feedback, and I'm like, do I want it? I want to leave? Okay, June twentieth is when I bought it, but that's a long time. That's a long time still. Okay, and listen. You want to keep buyers happy. You want to keep that, you know, negative feedback gone. Provide great customer service. Ship on the same day. Get back to people right away. You know, if if somebody's upset about something, don't don't lose your cool. Just say, "Hey, I'm sorry it didn't work out. You're welcome to return it." Just go that extra mile. I've converted simple questions into nice multi-item sales because I was willing to help. And they said, you know, I re- I really, I'm really glad that you're able to get back to me. Do you have any other similar items? I'm like, yeah, I have this and this. And sure enough, ends up being a bigger sale. And in the long run, when you deal with eBay and you have a negative feedback or a defect you're trying to get removed, if you have a great track record, so great feedback, great, uh, you know, metrics, and in your messages with the person, you're providing the best customer service, a lot of the time, I would say more than most of the time, eBay will side with you. So great customer service is definitely key. And it it is thou shall have great customer service. Yeah, that's good. And I think you covered a lot of the the practical benefits of it. And then also, I, I think there's an element of realizing that you are a business. And mm-hmm. when you treat yourself like a business, if you think like, okay, what are some of the best businesses you've been to? Like you can go to certain fast food places, you can go to certain restaurants, you can go to certain uh, real retail stores. And some of them are just known for the people there that work there. They're friendly. They're nice. Part of that is the culture they build. Maybe some of it's fake where the, you know, the management is like, you will always say this. You will always have a smile. You will always, whatever that is, it doesn't matter when you are a customer there and you go there and you're like, man, everybody's so friendly and I really like shopping here. Mm-hmm. As opposed to going to the place where, you know, the workers are rude and you got bad customer service, even if it's not like they're known for that. But if you just go once or twice somewhere, if you went to a restaurant once and you had really bad service and maybe you're like, I'm going to give it one more shot. Maybe you do that. Maybe. maybe. And if you get like subpar service, you're never going back. Mm-hmm. You're done. Right. And so the opposite is true. You go to a restaurant, even if it's like your first time going there, food was pretty good, but it was like the best service. They were so nice. They were so polite. You probably are going to go there forever. And so you got to think about that. There's there's something about a business that is providing good service and you are a business. And so what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be the curmudgeon old, you know, person on eBay that, you know, somebody said something and you're just like, bah, 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 and you're just a keyboard slamming, you know, well, you should have realized the picture said like, that's not that, that's not the business you want to run. Like you wouldn't want to shop at that place. So don't be that place because you're a store. Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right. And here is the last commandment. And if we miss any commandments, put them there. Make sure to start with, start with the thou shall. Okay. Now the last one here is thou shall adapt. And there's no better time than now to implement this because right now what I'm seeing, and there's a lot of people speaking about this, how a lot of people are falling off and reselling and they're, they're, they're falling off because one, you know, they, they keep doing the same old things, right? They're not willing to apply commandment number one about learning. And number two is they're not adapting, right? They're, they're expecting to get the same results by doing the same thing, 
right? Selling the same amount of items or types of items, not running sales, not doing coupons, not, you know, sending offers. They're just, they, they, they don't adapt or they're sourcing the same items they picked up five or six years ago. And yeah, they may be making profit, but they're not making that much profit. Right. There, there are still people that are sourcing items that would sell for 100 that now are selling for 50 and they're still sourcing those items, but they're working so much harder. And so you got to adapt now on this on the idea of working harder. One of the things I've had to adapt, especially this summer, is I'm working a lot harder to make them the same amount of money. And I'm making incrementally a little bit more like it is getting better, but I'm working like crazy. But I have no options, right? My options are to make it or to make it. And so I have to do what I need to do. I have to adapt to that environment. And so I have to be very, very efficient in my sourcing, very efficient in my listing. And so I, I had to adapt. And I think any reseller, especially if you're full time and you want to make it through a difficult time, you have to be able to adapt. That's, that's good. Adapting is, is crucial. And we learned that over the last few years. And maybe that's just normal. Like we've had a few big events happen where, you know, you're kind of forced to adapt, but the reality is that's, that's just the economy and life in general is adapting is always going to be necessary. There's always going to be advancements. I mean, we don't really know how much of a shakeup things like AI are going to be for reselling. We know there's already some, we've talked about some, but as technologies continue to change, as the world around us continues to change, as trends continue to change, there's so many outside factors that we have absolutely no control over. And so you can't, the, the, you've got to control the things you can control. And the only things you can control are what you know and what you do with what you know. And so things are going to change and you can sit there and say, well, I used to sell Hawaiian shirts and I'm going to keep trying to sell Hawaiian shirts until Hawaiian shirts sell for what I need them to. Or you can realize, hey, maybe things have changed around me. I need to learn something new. I need to go back through these commandments and I need to make it happen. I need to adapt in some way. Uh, and the more you're willing to do that. And, and, and there's, I think, an element where some people are, are, are they think they're being uh, flexible and they're adapting when what they're really doing is they're just being inconsistent. So they're not sticking with something. I think there's something to be said about sticking to something and saying, hey, Agreed. I'm going to list a certain number of items or I'm going to get into this niche. I'm going to really learn it. If you do that, you need to do it with fidelity. Like you need to follow through, make it happen. And if you if you can at the end of the day say, Hey, I, I tried this program, I did this organization system, I learned this new niche and it didn't work, then be flexible and adapt. Um, and sometimes you got to be able to do that on the fly. But some people I think are just all over the place and they think they're they're adapting when what they're really doing is they're just being inconsistent. And so you got to find that balance and make sure that you're actually adapting and not just just blowing around in the wind. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, it hurts my soul when you mention Hawaiian shirts. I used to make so much money on Hawaiian shirts. Now I have maybe one or two sales a month and rain spooner. Like, it's just not what it used to be. And it's crazy that I'm saying that because that used to be bolos all the time. It used to be hustle the week. And I've had to adapt. This is why I'm, I'm going more towards uh, hard goods now. Right. Clothing, I'll still pick up, but I'm not picking up as much clothing because right now in this economy, you know, everybody's trying to make a buck as best as possible. And the easiest way to make that money is clothing because it's so abundant. But that also is a very crowded field. And so I'm looking at to finding and adapting to those items that not everybody's picking up. 
you know, those vintage items that are hard to find, but are valuable. So my reselling has really shifted in the last few months. And and luckily, it's working so far. So, hey, hopefully these 10 commandments of PHP will help you increase uh, your reselling, staying profitable and continue to be motivated. And I want to add one more. Uh, the 11th commandment, thou shall stay Free positive. One. Thou shall stay positive. Because one of the things that gets a lot of people in reselling, it's very easy to get negative and you stay unmotivated and your store is going down, not because you don't have all the ability to find good items or ship items or stay profitable. It's just you stop caring. And so staying positive is very important. With that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant and be reselling. Late. Peace.